0: Uh, Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we thank you for this privilege of being together and of sharing our love for you, our love for each other, our love for your word. To sing praises to you and to think about your greatness, especially at this time of year when we are thinking about Christmas, and, and really, Lord, what we're thinking about is that your Son be, took upon himself human flesh in the incarnation. What, a, what a, a tremendous thought to engage our minds in this time of the year that God took upon himself human flesh. And we know, Father, that the reason was so that Jesus could go to Calvary's cross where he would bear in his body our sin. And he had to be human in order to die. But God, in order that his death would mean something. We can't even fathom what that was like. And we are in awe. We are in awe of you. We love you. Keep our thoughts centered on you through this season. Now, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is powerful. It can change each of our lives. It can do in our lives what we need. And thank you, Lord, that your word is powerful That it can change a life from death to life. We ask you to guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen. We are looking at the first of several sample sermons of Paul's in the book of Acts. Uh, I heard a friend once say that a description of a really great sermon is it has a great beginning and a great ending, and preferably the two are close together. (laughs) Now, if you read Paul's sermon... In Acts chapter 13, it takes about three minutes to read his sermon. But I guarantee you that it wasn't a three minute sermon. I guarantee you that it was much longer than that. What we have in Acts chapter 13 is just a sample of what Paul said. It's the first of several samples, uh, sample sermons of Paul's or example sermons of Paul that are recorded for us in the book of Acts by Luke. The second is in Lystra in chapter 14, uh, Paul's message to pagan worshipers. The third is in Acts 17, Paul's message to the philosophers in Athens. It's, It's really interesting to notice the different emphases that Paul has in each message and the way he approaches each message. I like what one writer said, Paul did not compromise Rather, he looked for ways to identify with those he wanted to reach. He is reaching, in our passage this morning, he is reaching Jews and God-fearers, that is Gentiles who attached themselves to the worship of Israel's God, but didn't go all the way to becoming proselytes. And so, Paul's message to each group was slightly different because he, was, he understood the need to reach out to that group. And you and I, and we talked about this, I think it was two or three weeks ago, you and I have to remember when we're sharing our faith with those around us to start where they are. To start where they are. Uh, we, we share many things, and, and I, I don't want to spend much time on that because we did talk about it, but we share many things with the non-believers around us. Uh, love of marriage, love of family, uh, uh, a career. We, we share many of those things. Start there. Start there when you share your faith. That's what Paul did. He adjusted. He didn't change the message. He didn't dilute the message, but he adjusted the way he approached the people according to the group, whether they were philosophers or whether they were pagan worshipers or as in the case here in Acts chapter 13, they are Jews and Gentiles who are familiar with the Old Testament. And therefore, that's where Paul starts in his message. In the message, we in fact, we looked at the first part of it, verses 16 through 25 last week. That is the historical part of Paul's message, the historical part of Paul's message, where where Paul uh, talks about the fact that Jesus Christ is the one who was the fulfillment of the, the uh, Messiah. He is the one who came through the line of David and therefore uh, had, had right to the Davidic throne. He is the one that was the Messiah, the Savior that God sent. And Paul deals with that in a historical way and he surveys the history of Israel, the key happenings and key people to show that Jesus Christ was a descendant of David and therefore he was qualified by birth to be the Savior, to be the Messiah. So that's where Paul starts in his message uh, in Acts chapter 13. Now, the second section, which we're going to get into in just a moment, is in verses 26 to 37. The first section was historical. The second section is prophetical. Now, in the second section, what Paul does is he shows how Jesus Christ fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament, the prophecies about Messiah in the Old Testament, and he gives several examples of that. So, we'll get into that in in just a moment. But, what I want you to see and what I want you to understand, and, and I hope that maybe you'll even underline verses 30. 2 and 33 because they are the heart of the message they are the heart of paul's message in verse 32 and verse 33 we read this we tell you the good news what god promised our fathers he has fulfilled for us their children by raising up jesus and then he quotes psalm 2 and verse 7 that's the heart of the message There is good news. Paul is sharing good news with these people. The good news of the Gospel. The good news that we can once again be reconciled to God. We can once again have our relationship with God. The relationship that was lost in the garden. The relationship that never should have been lost. As Adam and Eve turned their back upon God, we, with them, turned our backs upon God. But the good news is, the Gospel is that because Jesus Christ came, and because Jesus Christ willingly went to the cross of Calvary, that we can have that relationship with God established again. We can have that fellowship with God. Jesus, the One that history was leading up to, the One who the prophets foretold offers forgiveness of sins, and restoration to fellowship with God. Isn't that a marvelous thought? Jesus, the One the prophets foretold, the One that history was leading up to, the One who fulfilled in His genealogy, the One who fulfilled the prophecies about Messiah, in Him, you and I can have the forgiveness of sins. We can have the forgiveness of sins. We can be restored to God. That's just an amazing, amazing thought. Jesus died our death so that we wouldn't have to die the death that He did. Well, as we look at this message, Paul tells us that Jesus is God's long-awaited deliverer. He tells us that Jesus did what the law could never do. Jesus did what the law could never do. The law could only condemn, but Jesus could offer forgiveness of sin. The law could only condemn, but Jesus could offer forgiveness of sin. Paul tells us in this this message that death could not hold him. He conquered death and he offers eternal life. We're going to see as we go through this that the third part of this message is Paul's calling for a decision. Paul's calling for a decision. When you and I learn the truth about Jesus Christ, when we learn that He is the provision for our sin, when we learn that He is the one who can reestablish our fellowship with God, we have to do something with that. And I know that many, if not all of you, in here this morning, have had a time in their, your lives when you have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. If you haven't, I urge you to do that because what we are sharing with you this morning is the truth of the Gospel. And as Paul says to the, the hearers in Acts chapter 13, you can't turn away from it without doing something with it. You've either got to accept the truth or you've got to reject it. You've got to accept the truth or you've got to reject it. Well, one writer provided us with a really good summary of Paul's message and it goes this way. Paul's sermon is similar to Peter's early messages. He identifies Jesus as an historic person, a descendant of David who is thus qualified by birth to be the Savior. He shows how prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus' announcement, His death and His resurrection. He promises forgiveness to those who believe in Jesus and warns that a choice must now be made. That's a great summary of Jesus' message. Well, let's look at the second part of it. We looked last week at the historical part. Today, we'll look at the prophetical part and what I'm calling the volitional part, the response to the message in the prophetic part that covers verses 26 through 37 jesus death and burial and resurrection and ascension and how they fulfilled old testament prophecies starting at verse 26 we read brothers children of abraham and you god-fearing gentiles it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to the people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our, for, our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalm, You are my son, today I have become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead never to decay is stated in these words, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. In other words, David could not have been the Messiah. He's in the grave. His body decayed. I want you to know, Paul says, for when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers. His body decayed, but the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Jesus Christ conquered death for you and for me. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through Him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. As Paul preaches this sermon in verses 26 and 27, he talks about, the fact that Jesus the Savior has come, he was long ago promised, but he came and he's rejected by his own people. Verses 28 and 29 talks about the crucifixion and the burial. Verses 30 and 31 talks about his resurrection. Paul says that he was seen over many days by many witnesses. Now let's put some numbers to that. He was seen over 40 days. Over 40 days from the time of His resurrection, He was seen. How many people was He seen by? More than 500. More than 500. Let's put some numbers to it. He was seen by over many days. Over 40 days, the Scripture tells us. He was seen by many witnesses. Over 500 witnesses saw Jesus Christ alive from the dead. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 15. What Paul is basically saying to these people is you may reject the evidence, but you may not tamper with the evidence. You can reject the evidence, and if you do, you do it at your own peril. Eternity hangs in the balance if you reject God's truth. If you reject God's only provision for sin, you will reject at your own peril, but you may not tamper with the evidence. There is evidence. Jesus Christ came, He lived, He died at our hands but death couldn't hold him. He's resurrected from the dead and he's ascended into heaven. Now, there are many people that believe that this section not only talks about his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension, but it also in saying, stating in verse 33, he has fulfilled for us their children by raising up Jesus... That phrase, raising up Jesus, is an interesting one. It doesn't necessarily just refer to the resurrection. Now later on, in that same passage that we just read, He is going to refer to the resurrection. He is going to make it clear in verse 34, for instance, the fact that God raised Him from the dead. The modifier there, from the dead, lets us know that He is talking resurrection there. But the phrase, raising up Jesus, in verse 33, could... Easily refer to his incarnation, that is God raised up Jesus in the sense that he sent him to this earth to take upon himself human flesh. Now the reason I, I mention that is this is not a Christmas message, but that is the message of Christmas. This is not a Christmas message, but that is the message of Christmas. That's what Christmas is all about. Let's not forget it with all in when we in the midst of all the tinsel and the lights and the gifts and all of those things, let's not forget what we are celebrating is God coming to earth. Think about it. What an amazing thing. God came to earth. God Took upon Himself human flesh. Uh, there's a couple of things that really, that really drive that home, and I, I want to share them with you. Again, this isn't a Christmas message. You'll get one in a couple of weeks. But this is not a Christmas message. But I dearly love Bailey, Joseph Bailey's A Psalm for Christmas Eve. Many of you may be familiar with it. Praise God for Christmas Praise Him for the incarnation, for Word made flesh. I will not sing of shepherds watching flocks on frosty night, or angel choristers. I will not sing of stable bear in Bethlehem, or lowing oxen, wise men trailing distant star with gold and frankincense and myrrh. Tonight, I will sing praise to the Father who stood on heaven's threshold and said farewell to His Son as he stepped across the stars to Bethlehem and Jerusalem. And I will sing praise to the infinite, eternal God who became most finite, a baby, who would one day be executed for my crimes. Praise Him in the heavens. Praise Him in the stable. Praise Him in my heart that's that's what we're celebrating folks i can't even imagine the enormity of it permit me one more quote having to do with the season vance habner one of my favorite writers said this in all the confusion and commercialization of christmas these days we are more than likely to lose christ Let us never forget that God sent not merely a prophet, a philosopher, a leader to meet the world's needs. He gave His only begotten Son. Remember at Christmas that the Gospel is not that Jesus came or that He lived or that He taught. He could have done all that, but if He had returned to the Father some other way than by Calvary and the open tomb, we would still be in our sins. Thank God he was born. But he was born to die and live again that we might live forever. That's the essence of Paul's message. Jesus Christ came, sent from heaven so that he could take upon himself human flesh, the God-man, so he could go to Calvary's cross and die. But death could not hold him. He's resurrected from the dead. And He's ascended into heaven. And because He did that for us, we can have the forgiveness of sins. That's the glorious thing. We can have the forgiveness of sin. Therefore, verse 38, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through Him, everyone who believes is justified from everything. He could not be justified from by the, by the law of Moses. That is an amazing statement. The poverty of the law of Moses. The fact that the law of Moses, the Mosaic law, could not save. It could only condemn. It is amazing to me that there are Christians today who think they ought to live by the Mosaic law and not by grace of God. The Mosaic law could not save. That's the reason that year after year after year after year after year animals were sacrificed. Why? Why didn't they do it once and stop? Because the blood of bulls and goats could never provide you and me with the what we need, the righteousness that God desires. Only the death of His Son and putting our faith in Him could give us the righteousness that God desires as God looks at us through the righteousness of His Son. No longer sees our sin, but sees our, the righteousness of His Son because we have put our faith in Him. Bulls and goats couldn't do that. Bulls and goats couldn't do that. You know, we had an interesting reminder of this the other night at Awana. Some of you who were here might remember, there was a big old lamb out in our parking lot. Sheep, sheep, sheep about that high. Well, it wasn't a lamb. It was, it was a sheep. But, was Passover coming? Or, yeah. uh, 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 who, who, who's? yeah, who? You know, three things, three things, because I, I I need to, Steve, you you praised me too soon about giving you enough time. <laughs> Three things real quickly that Paul is saying here. Jesus took care of the sin problem. Jesus took care of the sin problem. They could have the forgiveness of sins. You and I can have the forgiveness of sins. And I know that most of you, maybe all of you, have trusted Jesus as Savior. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus took care of the sin problem. Number two, the second thing Paul is saying here is that Jesus did what the Mosaic law could never do. Jesus did what the Mosaic law could never do. The law could not justify, it could only condemn. In fact, Paul wrote the book of Galatians, which that's the theme of the book of Galatians. Paul wrote that book shortly after he ended this first missionary journey where he deals with that very issue. It could only condemn the law. The law could only condemn. It could not justify. It could not make us righteous. Dekayao is the word righteous or righteousness. It means to set right with God on the basis of faith. It means to make righteous. <clears throat> it means to declare righteous. When you and I put our faith in Christ, God declares us righteous. Wow. Wow. That's, a, that's an amazing thing. Warren Wiersbe said justification is the act of God whereby he declares the believing sinner righteous in Jesus Christ. It's our standing before God. The third thing here, and there's so much we could say about it, the third thing that Paul is saying here is we must not reject the truth. We must not reject the truth. He says, Through Him everyone who believes is justified from everything they could not be justified from the law of Moses. Take care that what The prophets have said, does not happen to you. And he quotes Habakkuk 1.5. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never even believe, believe, even if someone told you. Just a real quick reminder, in the book of Habakkuk, the people of God are asking, God, why do you let us look on injustice Why do you let us look on sin? Why do you do that? Why don't you do something about it? And God says, good news, gang, I am. I'm raising up the Babylonians who are going to come and capture you. That's what He says. And that's a paraphrase. But that's what He says. See, they rejected the truth of God and they suffered the consequences because of it. And what Paul is saying to them In his day and what he is saying to us in our day, don't reject the truth. If you reject the truth, you will pay the consequences. And they're too great. Well, Let's stop there and bow in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for sending him. May we celebrate him at this season. In Jesus' name, amen.